What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Twitter hacked. High-profile users compromised. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Joe Biden, Barack Obama. It could be the platform's worst ever breach. We talked to Facebook's former head of security about the agony and the absurdity. These attackers, you know, the equivalent of of stealing a McLaren F1 and taking it for a joyride and then crashing it into a telephone pole four minutes later. And an heir to the Walt Disney fortune says rewarding the wealthy, it's just too much. Abigail Disney. I think that there's a a recognition that we've gotten so far out of balance that's just not realistic to keep going forward as we have. It's Thursday, July 16th, 2020, and we have to ask. Is Twitter too important to politicians and and policymakers and government officials and big-time journalists? Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Good morning. As Joe mentioned earlier, uh, this Twitter uh, story, that's the top corporate story we're going to be talking about. After the company said dozens of its highest profile users were the target of a massive hack yesterday, Twitter says they believe the hacker successfully targeted some employees who had access to internal systems and tools. Among the accounts compromised, Elon Musk, Barack Obama, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Joe Biden, Jeff Bezos, and the corporate accounts of Uber and Apple as well, all telling followers in nearly identical tweets to send massive amounts of Bitcoin to a specific address. Now, CEO Jack Dorsey saying that Twitter is diagnosing the problem and will share everything uh, he can once the picture becomes more clear. But if, in fact, they got in through employees who had tools and access to those accounts, it raises all sorts of questions about the security procedures at that company, and we'll uh, we'll see. There were we'll screenshots. I, mean, I, I don't know I, I, screenshots of of what you would need from an employee of the company that somehow were out there before. I think they were they were taken yeah. down, and and a lot of people are saying, "Thank God it was just money, just Bitcoin, right. and not <laughs> something important." Well, it is important, but political. Uh, I mean, you can imagine. And you know what? Is Twitter yep. too important to politicians and, and policymakers and government officials and, and big time journalists? Is it too yes. important? <laughs> Maybe well, it is. Yes, it, we, we, we rely on it. And, and, and by the way, if you were to see something tweeted from the president's account, you know, some of these things that come right. through, well, I was thinking about it. Elon Musk, I, all, this surprised me yesterday. Most of it like the, the, the stuff, the idea of give me, send me $1,000 in Bitcoin and I'll send you back $2,000. I wouldn't have believed that from most of these accounts anyway. Maybe from Elon Musk because he's, he's a little a, wacky he's like a that. He's a fan. <laughs> yeah, and he's got it. Right. It's like, hey, I'm but, feeling but generous. I, I'm feeling generous. Though? I just right, smoked a big one. I just smoked a big one, are... too. And, and I just, I'm wasted. <laughs> right. And send me, you know, and I'm ready to, because we've seen him do that. I was hoping there would be the Waffle House tweet where, where that says, you know, Joe, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Knowledge, Kernan. But it didn't. Uh, you know what else I was thinking what, about? What's crazy about this, though, is 
It's such a it's such a like a wackadoodle idea. You send me a thousand dollars in Bitcoin and I'll I'll send you back two. Right. It sounds exactly like the Nigerian stories that right. used to go around. I got one and, of those and, and it's like, how are you savvy enough to own Bitcoin and not savvy enough to realize that that's a complete phishing scam? Like, uh, same language yeah. from an, uh, not Elon's actual account from a fake Elon account, but the same thing. Send me a thousand Bitcoin. I'll send you. 2000 back. Uh, apparently, people are really worried about the DMs. I don't really DM. You know who used to? I, was, I know. Was that, Wiener that's what used I thought. To, There's to, to, everything to, that I put on Twitter, I put publicly. So. Yeah. Anthony Wiener got in trouble, but he was thinking he was DMing, but he was sending out <laughs> shots, Wiener shots to, uh, I mean, Anthony Wiener shots to, to lots of, uh, I'm looking for a ding. But do you DM Sorkin? You've never DM me. If, of course, I don't follow you, so I guess you can't. Uh, you I occasionally DM people. I mean, some people use Twitter like a like a direct messaging like service, DM, like they yeah. would, your, like like an iMessage or um, a WhatsApp or um, you know yeah, one of those not, signal. You're not DMing that pictures. Kind of thing. New, new pictures. No, new but pics. but you could. I mean, people use. <laughs> there are people who use Twitter that way, and if, if for private groups and things in the same way you'd use iMessage or. As I said, any of these other messaging platforms. What kind of pics? Yeah. The, the Twitter piece of it that, yeah. What are those called? Oh, yeah. Right. Never mind. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, really? Well, uh, I, because I would say, look, if you could see something. Elon Musk, it wouldn't surprise me to see just about anything come out on his Twitter feed. It wouldn't surprise me to see much coming out from the president's feed either. That, that's the thing that's a little scary. Supposedly, people are mad that... There's a higher level of security for the president than for Joe Biden, uh, than the former I'm vice glad. president. The, so. <laughs> True, but I mean, there should be a certain level once you get to, I don't know. Um, I, I guess you want nice the highest for the president, but everyone. why not have? Why not? Yeah, I can think of a hundred people that should have the highest level, and you know, Vice President Biden would I'd, probably I'd, be I'd one. It'd be of nice them. if you could give that level to everyone right. <laughs> again, like strengthen up the standards on every so, on everyone going through this. This is a big problem for Twitter, but every blue check mark was uh, everyone with one of those was shut down. So we could not have. Uh, I have one of those. I mean, Sorkin, you and Becky. I didn't even others. notice. I didn't notice either. To talk more about the Twitter hack uh, and how the company can prevent the next one, we're joined by Alex Stamos. He is a former chief security officer at Facebook and an NBC News cybersecurity analyst. I hope you got up at like two in the morning today, Alex, and have been finding things out and making phone calls so that you can tell us exactly. WTF happened uh, here. Does, does, is someone in uh, cahoots somewhere within the company? And could they could a world leader's Twitter account be uh, uh, could they post something that could cause some type of international incident? Is do we know that now that that, that that's a fact? Yeah, good morning. Uh, what we know is, you know, Twitter has admitted that this issue started with an internal employee changing the email accounts and turning off the security features on these really high profile accounts. Now, the the Twitter message said that they did so because they were socially engineered, which is a fancy security term for tricked. And generally, when you say somebody is social engineered, what you mean is that they've been tricked into giving up their password. That was kind of the initial read is that somebody was tricked into giving up their password. And and that meant the attackers were able to get in as an employee. Um, Now, Joseph Cox at Vice's motherboard, who's a very good security reporter, is reporting that the hackers are claiming that they actually paid an internal uh, Twitter employee to do the change for them. Uh, which highlights the problem that, honestly, this is the, the biggest area of risk for almost any large company is the insider threat, it is the fact that to operate your business, you have to 
provide data and access to thousands and thousands of employees, um, and especially for consumer-facing businesses like a Twitter, but also you know e-tailers, uh, ISP, internet providers, banks, financial services, credit card companies. You have these very large teams of customer service reps who have to have a lot of power to be able to make the customers happy, uh, and they pose a, a humongous security risk. And it looks like one way or another, that is the risk that was exploited here. So once again, I'm thinking that we we, we shouldn't be angry that, that these guys did this. I, I, I mean, you know how people go through uh, the TSA at the airport and they try to do things to, to see if they can get passed and then we know that they can. I mean, nothing that bad happened this time. Um, right. It, 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 can we uh, secure things up at this point? Is, 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 that the, is that the next step? Yeah, no, I actually think, honestly, as a country and Twitter themselves got very lucky here. These attackers, you know, were the equivalent of, of stealing a McLaren F1 and taking it for a joyride and then crashing it into a telephone pole four <laughs> minutes later, right? Like, right, there was so right. much more damage that could have been done to Twitter and to the national economy. If you have control of the accounts of the major Fortune 500 CEOs, your ability to manipulate the market is pretty incredible. Oh. We actually saw a test run of this by Elon Musk himself, who you know, famously was tweeting about his own stock price and was able to manipulate it very quickly. If these attackers had more money, a little more savvy about how the markets work, they probably could have made millions or tens of millions of dollars, either by depressing the entire market through some kind of move uh, on news or depressing specific stocks. Okay. Uh, Andrew, they, they attacked very high-profile, important people. You somehow escaped, uh, which, which we're all very, very I glad. Escaped. All I of escaped. Us, all of us did. Um, I know. I know. I know. Hey, Alex, the, the thing that I'm trying to understand in all of this is, and, and this is maybe a technical question, but I think it, it's, it's a question that anybody who, who has an account anywhere with a password and double authentication may want to ask, which is, do employees typically have access at a Facebook to be able to post on somebody else's site or to be able to get into their account? If you have a Gmail account on a Google, you know, can an employee inside Google actually get access to that account? Is that what happened here? Yes, that's a great question. And the answer is generally yes, although many tech companies. Uh, yes. Have hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Stop. You, yes, the the answer is employees inside these companies can can get access to all of these accounts. So if you have the ability to call a company and talk to a customer service rep and say, I've lost my phone, I've lost my computer, I've lost my password, can you get me back in? Then that means that somebody has the ability to push a button and to turn a control of the account over to somebody else. Um, and so there, but there is a- Alex, is Alex, a, typically if you were to reset a password, for example, it would go to your, Alex's, email address. Now, unless you're able to change that address or intercept that address, hopefully that, that password can't get changed by another person except you, no? You're right. In, in this case, what happened is they, they changed the password over to password, or I'm sorry, they changed the email accounts over to email accounts controlled by the attackers and then turned off security features. So there is something that Twitter can do here, which is, one, they can have what's called risk-based authentication. So they can have systems internally that if a customer service rep is dealing with a very high-profile account, that their options of doing some action themselves are limited. 
right? That you you have basically like the two key model of launching a nuclear weapon that that Twitter can build that that you should not be able to take over Joe Biden's account. This is apparently what's true for Donald Trump's account, right? That's the the big high profile account that was not hit here was the president's account, and it's because the president's account had already been deleted by a Twitter contractor several years ago, and it looks like they had put a bunch of protections around that account. They're going to need to expand that to a much broader set of people whose accounts are either national security sensitive or can be used to, to create a lot of fraud. Um, and so you can have those kinds of controls. You can also have other situations that people can't change both the password and the email of one customer service rep. Uh, there's a bunch of things that Twitter's going to have to do, and hopefully they do it before the election. Hey, Alex, to that point, um, we've been talking around this, but one guy on Twitter said this very succinctly. He said, Twitter admins have the power to post on behalf of world leaders. One employee could start World War III with a tweet. Is that accurate? I think that if you have the ability to take over an account like this, it gives you a huge amount of power. And Twitter, while being significantly smaller than, say, Facebook, is also the primary way that a number of very important people speak to, especially the media, and get their message out. Um, and so certainly, if somebody took over President Trump's account uh, and said, I'm sending the Fifth Fleet into the Taiwan Strait, uh, I'm not taking it anymore from China, you would cause a worldwide panic while right. the, the White House and the, the, the Pentagon tried to tamp down the idea that this was real. And it would take maybe a bit of time to, to believe that this wasn't actually a real tweet. Okay. Uh, and, and so, yes, uh, maybe... Actually starting a war would be on the difficult side, but creating a, a massive panic, creating an international incident, creating a massive stock market crash, I think is completely within the capability if you're able to take over the right Twitter accounts. All right, Alex, thank you. Um, I can't sure, help myself. You. I'm just kidding around. So the good news is that the president is protected from something like this happening. The bad news is those actually are the president's tweets that we see. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> kidding. Kidding. Next on Squawk Pod, Abigail Disney, heir to, you guessed it, says the ultra-wealthy should be paying more in taxes. If the world is terribly polluted, I'm not going to fix it by going in front of my house and picking up all the trash off the sidewalk. That's not the problem. The problem is systemic. We need to make this a more um, fair system that doesn't so much favor the wealthy. We'll be right back. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Dozens of wealthy people who call themselves Millionaires for Humanity have signed an open letter to their governments asking to be taxed a higher rate permanently to cover costs related to COVID-19. Over 80 men and women worth seven figures from the U.S., U.K., Germany, New Zealand, Canada, and the Netherlands make up the group. This group says they owe a huge debt to the world's essential workers who confront the deadly virus every day and are, quote, grossly underpaid. 
We should note that these millionaires can write a check for coronavirus relief at any time, of course. Microsoft founder and philanthropist Bill Gates and Twitter's Jack Dorsey have pledged more than $1 billion to vaccine research and COVID-19 relief efforts. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos donated $100 million to Feeding America, although the online shopping giant has also been criticized for how it's handled the safety of its warehouse workers during the pandemic. But the Millionaires for Humanity argue that charity alone can't get us through this crisis. Government leaders must take the responsibility for raising funds we need and spending them fairly. One member of that group is Abigail Disney. Her grandfather, Roy, was the brother of Walt Disney founder, Walt Disney. She is an Emmy award-winning documentary filmmaker who is founder of Fork Films and host of the All Ears podcast. Abigail Disney has confronted the issue of economic inequality for years and has written several letters to Disney CEO Bob Iger with the hope that company employees would be compensated more fairly. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin today with Abigail Disney. Abigail, it's great to see you. Um, Good to see you. You know, there's a, a bi- there's a big debate going on about uh, what's going to happen post-pandemic in terms of taxes in America uh, yeah. and taxes around the world, frankly, uh, to pay for the cost of all of this. You say tax us. Uh, what's the reception that you've been getting from your your fellow uh, your fellow millionaires and maybe billionaires on this topic? You know, I think we're getting less resistance than we've gotten in the past. I think that there's a a recognition that we've gotten so far out of balance that it's just not realistic to keep going forward as we have. We're contributing so much less to the economy than we really ought to be to the the well-being of our fellow Americans. So it's time for us to cough up a little bit more. What do you tell people who say, sure, if you want to pay more, send, send the government a check, send Uncle Sam a check. You don't you don't right. have to up, up the rates on everybody. But if, you, if you're such a, uh, you know, a philanthropist, if you will, you know, mail yeah. your check in, but don't do it to everybody. So so if the world is terribly polluted, I'm not going to fix it by going in front of my house and picking up all the trash off the sidewalk. That's not the problem. The problem is systemic. We need to make this a more um, fair system that doesn't so much favor the wealthy. Well, let me let me flip it around. What about the other argument, which is to say that government has failed us? And actually, you can make the argument within the context of COVID-19 that government has failed us. And in fact, that many of many of the business leaders, in fact, private industry has been the ones that have actually come out and 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 really uh, helped with COVID in ways, frankly, that the government has not. Well, there's no question the federal government has failed us, and that's been a failure of leadership. But where governments have failed us is because they've been persistently underfunded and starved by this insistence that we take all the money out of the public systems we possibly can. If we had invested more in our health systems, if we'd invested more in making sure that the low-income and middle-income workers had for instance, some savings or own their homes or anything that assures a life that's secure, um, we would be doing so much better. But you saw how quickly those lines forward at the food pantries. Millions and millions of people who work full time in this country did not have enough money laid by to ensure that they had enough to eat for the next week, much less however long this is going to last. Let me ask you, is your campaign specifically about individual taxes or do you also include corporate taxes in this? In, yeah, in this letter, we're not talking about corporate taxes. We really want to talk about the individual people who are sitting on mountains of money. And, and let's face it, there were 
I don't know, 20 billionaires in 1980. Now there are some over 600 or something crazy like that. It, it, it's there's money has been concentrated too heavily in a too small population. It needs to be driven across the economy. What's a fair tax rate? Uh, you know, we had I remember Leon Cooperman came on our program maybe six months ago and he said, look, I'm happy to work half the year for the government and for my fellow taxpayers and half the year for myself. That seems like a fair trade. That's 50 percent. Uh, but yes. frankly, 50 percent is where we are in parts of America already, given the local, state and federal taxes. Well, you know, for wealthy Americans, their effective tax rate has gone from around 50 percent in the last 40 years to around 23 percent, which is roughly what the middle class pays. What we have is it's, is effectively a flat tax, really, if you take all the taxes, state, local um, sales taxes into consideration, we actually are effectively paying a flat tax across the country. I, I would be happy to go back to the 50 percent, you know, and, and uh, you know, if right. that's not politically feasible, let's talk about 40. But we need to we need to recognize that there are people in this country who are so wealthy that a 40 percent tax rate would do nothing to erode the quality of their right. life. I got to ask you separately, g- given your last name and your connections to Walt Disney, what do you make of the, the Disney's uh, reopening in Florida, given the spread of COVID at the same time that uh, clearly uh, they're closing uh, in right. Hong Kong and uh, in California? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not looking at the same information they're looking at. But but given what I do know, just the same as you do from reading, reading the newspapers and so forth, I'm I'm confused about how they think they can possibly protect their guests and their employees. And I certainly know people who work there who are very uncomfortable, who have conditions like asthma and diabetes that put you at high risk, who are literally deciding whether they want to go back to work or or buy, or buy food. Have you communicated with Bob Iger or anyone at Disney about that? Uh, the lines of communication are not robust, let's just say. Okay. Uh, it's a longer conversation. Abigail, we appreciate you coming on this morning. Um, it's a fascinating topic and issue and debate, and I'm sure we will continue it. So thanks so much, very much. Coming up, what were you doing 25 years ago today? Sorkin was at summer camp serving bug juice. A big dot-com anniversary when Squawk Pod is back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Anyway, this next story. I have no sound. Oh, you have no, I have su- no sound. He has no sound. Oh. I'll, I'll read this. Where were you? Well, 20? Where, yeah, go uh, ahead. You want to go? We th- let's talk together. No, no, Becky. you read it. Okay. okay. Where, where were you 25 years ago today? 
It's in Englewood Cliffs. Mm, at the Wall Street Journal. Were you? I might have been in Fort Lee or yep. Englewood Cliffs. Sorkin was at summer camp serving bug juice, I, I, I think, and charging for you. were a waiter, right? No, not 25 years ago, but you weren't I, 25. 25 years ago. What year were we talking about? Well, um... Uh, 90 something, I think. Well, uh, 95. 90, 90, it's 2020. Uh, 95. So, yeah, I was graduating from high school. You're graduating? Were you buying books on Amazon because you want to take this? This is your uh, reading. We were early. Yep. We were early. I remember doing it with my mother, like, 100% buying books. We, we had a gateway, uh, gateway computer, 2486 megahertz, if you remember what I'm talking about. And we had a 9,600 baud modem, and I got them to upgrade to a 1,400, uh, uh, or 14,000, was it 14,000 14, baud modem after that? Wow. I didn't that know was what, what was going on. I would on. not have known I, what back you were talking about. That that noise. Was I still don't know what you're talking about. Hey, hey, you want to take over this read? No, I thought uh, I was a long time. I've, I've had a... I've had an account since 1999. I thought I was a long timer. But, uh, you know, if you were doing this on a gateway, you were probably before me, Andrew. Yeah. On a gateway. I don't know. I don't know. Not I don't, on a I don't remember the timing. We also had an Apple. We had an Apple II GS before that. So um, the Steve Wozniak edition, by the way, uh, which we saved. I um, used an Apple back basement. in. Meantime. I had an Apple back in 79. It wasn't mine, but it was in the lab where I was working in. Or it was like uh, right. 1979. Yeah. Anyway, you today marks the 25th. Right, let's just exp- Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you go. This is you today anyway. marks the- Today marks the 20, 25 years since the launch of Amazon.com. Uh, John Wainwright purchased the first book on the site. He bought Douglas uh, Hatterstoff's uh, Fluid Concepts and Creative Analogies, Computer Models of the Fundamental Mechanic, uh, Mechanisms of Thought. In 95, the company had just 10 employees. Today, of course, more than 840,000. Amazon went public two years after the website launched at $18 a share in uh, 1997, Amazon has undergone three stock splits since then. Um, so split adjusted, and here's the number. If you bought $10,000 uh, or if you spent $10,000 initially at the IPO price, it would be worth precisely about $20 million today. I like the way Not you said precisely price. about, because no one thinks about that. It was precisely about $20 million. Uh, anyway, uh, what I want to, uh, which is unbelievable, $10,000, that is $20 million. Think about that. What does Amazon do for the next 25 years? Is it just buy a, uh, a thousand times as many of those trucks that I see in my neighborhood constantly now, like double parked? Or, no, I think they're going to do something that nobody's anticipating. I think they're going to do something that nobody's anticipating. And Joe, when we were going to commercial break, you made the comment that you still think of Amazon as a tech company, and it's because you should. If you look at what they've done with AWS, the cloud services that they've built that up, too, yeah. that, is, uh, that division it was $10 billion in revenue for them last quarter. It was 77% of their operating profit for the quarter. So this is very much a tech company and it's doing all kinds of things and all kinds of projects kind of kind of like alphabet google you know with all the projects that they had kicked off that things that we're not thinking of that they are finding ways to you know serve their customers in some way or another and i'm sure it's something that we are not thinking of okay will you be able to order a book on mars and have amazon deliver it Good question. Maybe Blue Origin will fly the. He's the in both of those. I mean, that's why. That's the synergy. That's where. That's why he's developing yeah. both. Right. Want to be able to, to service that market, the Mars market. No, he wouldn't. No, no, no. So Jeff wants to keep us on the. 
totally different. Elon Musk wants us to escape to Mars. Oh. Jeff wants us to all live on Earth because he thinks it's the perfect place for us and wants to move all industrial production and all of the, the stuff that he thinks does, shouldn't happen on Earth up to space. So he can bring it It'll back. be delivered reverse, and in fact. And money. Okay. In, it, yes. He's going to be a trillionaire, I think. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.